How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome back to Dazing and Views 33 and a Third. I'm Jarf, and I'm thrilled to be back with you this week. I've got an awesome guest for you. His name is Brad Mendenhall, and he is the co-creator and host of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, which incidentally is the first podcast I ever appeared on. And he is also the author of Sex, Money, Good Grades, and Other Things You Won't Get in College. You know, it's been about, I want to say it's been about 15 years since that book came out. I was just talking about, somebody um, asked me about the book. And I was like, oh yeah. And I did the math. I was like, it's been a long time. You were a character in it. That's right. Jarf appears. First fictional appearance of Jarf. <laughs> and uh, interesting where, obviously it was a lot different than Dazed and Confused. However, it was a coming of age that followed a pretty wide cast of characters. If nothing else, I could see the, char- the, the characters in my book would have been fans of this movie. Totally. That's why That's why it came to my mind when we were getting ready to chat tonight. Can people still, can people get your book on Amazon? It is still on Amazon. It is? It is still on Amazon. I think I just got a review maybe a year ago. So, you know, yeah, people are still, you know, I, I'm, let, me, let me rephrase. People are not still buying it, but still people have the ability, and one person over the last decade bought it. So, <laughs> right. And, and liked it well enough to give me a good review. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, when, and you and I know this real well, when you do sort of these DIY or small budget or independent creative works, you're not doing it to get the millions and millions of fans. You do it because, in that case, I wanted to write a book and I had an idea and I produced a book and got a small publisher and it was just fun and i have it you know i have copies of the book in my basement and every now and then i'll read it you know smirk at how clever i was and then you know grimace at the things that weren't that great and you know same as podcasting where you and i have been doing podcasting pretty regular for it's what five years now Mm-hmm. and we have our little fan base and people enjoy the show when we've gotten a chance to talk to some really great people but you know it's it's nothing that neither you or i have quit our day jobs for it but it's just fun it's just a, a good thing to do it, it's good for my mental health and, and it's been a great way to connect with some awesome people nice mental health is very important and so you listeners know brad and i go way back all the way back to college back when you spelled jarf different Right. Used to be just GRF, all caps. (laughs) GRF, all caps. And back in college, we did a radio show on a very hard to access station, Toxic Radio. And I was just uh, talking to my wife about how that experience really prepared us for this really niche podcasting that we do today. You had to, if you had a cable wire... You had to strip part of the cable wire and wrap it around the antenna of your radio. There was no over-the-air signal, and nobody wanted to do that. And they actually had, like, volunteers to go around the different dorm rooms to help people get set up on the radio. It was insane. And now they have a real radio station, which we were around and were, like, involved in the management of that. You were a little longer than I was to get that set up, to get, like, over-the-air clearance. And, you know, we, we started that up, and I know they have a real radio station now. It's like, oh, yeah, great. 
another thing where we're, we're, we were trailblazers that didn't get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Yes. We BS'd and killed time on air so that they could actually broadcast. We would get so bored and you would have no one calling in and no one listening and trying to convince your girlfriend or your, your friends to listen to the show. And then it was only really fun for me to do when you and I were doing the show together. So every now and then you would have go home for the weekend I, or something would be going on. I just remember being in the studio by myself. No one's listening. I was like, screw it. And I would just put on some album. Whatever it was, I vaguely remember it being Led Zeppelin one time. I just put it on. It's like, hey, okay. And I just put it on. It's like, hey, guys, listen to this. And then I just left, figuring the next <laughs> oh, no. DJ would come in. Real professional. Oh, man. That's great. Well, so enough of that college reminiscing. Let's get into some high school reminiscing. I like that this is clearly a carefully chosen song thematically, but they don't hit you over the head with that. It's you really have to think about the fact that oh this is the song do you feel like I do and what's happening in the scene. Mitch is talking to Pink about his experiences and did he go through the same thing when he was a freshman and oh boy did I ever and so Mitch is realizing hey this cool senior guy he, he he was once in my shoes and and you can see him just over the course of these three minutes go from completely deflated and, and he's just gotten paddled and his butt hurts and he's thinking how shitty the whole experience is to he's cl- completely perked up and happy and like hey man I'm like I'm hanging out with this senior guy and th- this Cole's guy is giving me advice and and guiding me through the kind of hierarchy of high school and and telling me how, how to like act like it doesn't bother me too much and and so it's it's so nice to just see how happy he is after he's dropped off at the end of the scene. Well, and Pink's, he's the cool guy in high school that everyone that everyone wished they had been friends with, or the cool guy in high school that we all wish we could have been, where he was a legit good guy but didn't get a but got to be a good guy and wasn't antagonized and you know it wasn't seen as a sign of weakness because he was a star athlete and so got to be friends with everyone. And I guess there were people like that in school in school and I, I sort of have memories of a couple guys who were like the big men on campus who were actually really agreeable likable and sociable and didn't use it the way ben affleck's character did where he was expressing his own anger frustration and taking advantage of manipulating that he got to you know get to do what he wanted you, you we all wanted that friend or to be pink yeah and I, I want to talk some more about how the song is used. All right, well, first off, the song is not called Do You Feel Like I Do. Oh. It is called Do You Feel Like We Do. Because even though he says Do You Feel Like I Do 18 times, at the very end when they're doing the big, long solo, he just screams out to the audience, like, Do You Feel Like We Do? And that's the name of the song, which is just the, one of the weird things that, stuck, that, that sticks in my head. I went through a Frampton phase. Okay. I'm glad that I have you on to represent someone who appreciates Peter Frampton because I'm I'm not a fan and this song in particular loses me when he does the thing of making the guitar talk. That's I'm at that point I'm like, you're really indulging yourself. Just wrap up the song. It's it's a song and a performance. I could see and I understand why you do it in concert. I think it works fine in concert because we've all I think many people have been to that concert where and it's the 
the song where you introduce the band and give them a chance to to do their thing a little bit, and that works great. So I can imagine, you, you know, you're it's right before the final, it's right before the first encore. They're doing the song, and it was a hit, and it was a popular song for them. And then it's like a chance to show. It's like here's the keyboardist, and here's the other guitarist, and here's yeah, on yeah. drums, and everybody have a great night and all that. And you can see that working. But listening to it live, it's like this is the, the first two two and a half minutes. It's a it's a like I say, it's a perfectly competent, fun. I drank too much last night song, and I I like those. But when it gets to the keyboard solo, it's like I don't think I've ever been interested in a keyboard solo. I'm a Ben's Folds fan. And I don't need to hear a keyboard solo <laughs> other than like within the context of that three minute song. I, I don't like I'm not a jam band guy to begin with. So I'm a big fan of, hey, this is I, I really like well crafted three minute rock pop gems, which is sort of what the first three minutes of this song is. And then it's like, all right, now let's have our bathroom break song. <laughs> well, I have a quote from the director that illuminates how he was thinking about music in this movie and and how it relates to high school and and that leads me to another question that i have for you first the quote Linklater says he remembers being that age when music articulated everything you couldn't really say you just crank up your music it did all the feeling and talking for you so i i really dig that i i mean I remember that from when I was in high school. Shit, I remember feeling that way just last week. It's just sometimes you can't quite put it into words and only a song will do it. So I wanted to ask you, Brad, if they made a movie about your high school life, what song would play in your version of this scene? I vividly remember when I was in high school, and it was senior year where I finally was feeling pretty comfortable in my own skin. And I had my two best friends, Tim and Adrian. And I grew up in a really small town. So there'd be a lot of, we would go and see a movie. And then we would go to the Limerick Diner, the local 24-hour diner. And we would go to the diner, get coffee or whatever. And then I, we would then drive around a little bit. And it was usually with purpose. I never liked cruising per se because I'm a little too destination oriented. But I do remember we would just, we would end up driving a lot because we were all sort of spread out in our area and playing. Uh, and I was a huge fan of, and still am a huge fan of the Matthew Sweet album, Girlfriend. And all three of us liked the album a lot. And playing the song, Looking at the Sun, which isn't one of his more, beloved songs you know it's certainly not a hit he only had one or two uh, he probably had two or three like hits but even the fans of matthew sweet it's not one of the songs that they play at the end at, they don't it's not one of his encore or get everyone up songs uh but it was just a, sort of a fun mid-tempo lament song and all three of us really liked it and it, part of it is when you you get really into an album and especially when you're 17 18 when you get into an album, you don't want to like the hit songs. Right. So everyone else can like I've Been Waiting or Girlfriend. But no, we were going to like the, you know, sort of slowed down song. And I, I just remember, and that's, it's also like just a perfect volume song where if it was the Brad Mendenhall story, good Lord, it, it would 
be like it's just a perfect undercurrent song because it's not obtrusive. It doesn't have like a big loud whammy guitar solo or anything like that, but it's not too maudlin or too slow paced. So yeah, that's that's the song I would think. Looking at the Sun by Matthew Sweet, which is such a little known song that no, I, I hope your listeners like go into YouTube because it's a good song, uh, but you, you've never heard it. <laughs> well, I personally think it is an excellent choice and it feels right to me too because for me personally, you introduced me to Matthew Sweet and to that album. So I remember us cruising around with our then-girlfriends listening to that album. It's actually something that I particularly think of in the fall, something about early fall. That must have been the time of year that we took that particular trip and and listened to that album. But yeah, I have that association with it. I I should also bring up, uh, and I should call him properly, my good friend, Matthew Sweet. (laughs) Right. That's right. You had the opportunity to interview him for the aforementioned Cosmic Geppetto podcast. It was a, that was a big moment for me, and I, was, I felt like I was handling it pretty cool. But at one point, I said to him, I was like, well, Mr. Sweet, I, I want you to come back, and I don't want us to just be friends. I want us to become good friends. <laughs> and he, he sounded like a little bit humored by it. He's like, okay, Brad, we could be good friends. And that's not like... That, that that clip is on my phone, and I have played it for many people. <laughs> He's my good friend. See? My wife's like, all right, well, why don't you give him a call right now? I was like, friends like us don't need to call each other all the time. <laughs> right. Listeners, I can confirm that he messaged me that clip <laughs> right after recording. <laughs> you were not the, the only person to receive that clip. Oh, I believe it. Including Tim and Adrian. The, the two guys who I would ride around listening to that album, uh, I messaged them both. It's like, you're not going to believe it, guys. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Sweet. Well, okay. So somewhat related or not, but I want to ask it either way. So thinking about, again, you in high school, what character in Dazed and Confused is the most or least like who you were growing up? You know, you ask that question and it's, it's such a good question because I think we all want to be pink. We all don't want to be the... Yeah, even McConaughey, where he gets some of the cool lines, but McConaughey, especially as you get older, the creepier you realize he his character is. And it's also a role that hasn't necessarily aged well. Just the the concept of you know him saying it's like he, he keeps getting older and high school girls stay the same age, which was supposed to be like a, a cute line. It's like, oh, you scamp. It's like, no, that's that's terrible now. Right. But I, I and I want to I want to say that the aspect of pink where I never wanted to be cruel to anyone. I, and I remember, <laughs> I remember elementary school, always a thing of whatever grade you were in, there was the, always the kid, the grade above you that would bully the kids. And I always remember the kids at my grade saying, it's like, well, I can't wait till I'm third grade, fourth grade, whatever it was. And then I can be the one who picks on the other kids. And like, I never had that mentality. And you know, that, that goes all the way to the end of high school. It's different. Obviously, as you get a little older, it becomes less like a physical intimidation and more just, you know, keeping the, the, the other kids out of the party. But Pink was the guy who, who was, again, was kind. But but I wasn't him. I, I never had the confidence. I didn't have that confidence in high school. I, I want to say, actually, the character that most seemed like me was uh, Adam Goldberg's character, uh, Newhouse. The guy who was always trying to logic his way through stuff. And I think that was me where I, and it was a thing that, Sort of would um, really stop me from doing stuff. It was like a, a and it's it's not a it's not a trait that I've completely 
gotten away from, but just you end up getting frozen by your own logic, trying to noodle stuff out, trying to noodle stuff out, and then you end up not making a decision at all, or when you do, it's too late. And with Newhouse, it was him just figuring out how he's going to get revenge on a guy and just thinking it through and thinking it through and like explaining to everyone, this is my plan, this is my, my plan. And credit to him, he actually went through with it. It didn't go as well as he thought he was, it was going <laughs> no, to. No, it did not. <laughs> but, you know, when I saw that, it's like, oh, I can relate to that. Thinking through the plans of vengeance and how to and trying to get the sense of what the other person, how they're, you know, what their weak points and all that stuff and planning everything out. It be it something like that or the girl you want to ask out or the, or even like the person who seems pretty cool in your outside of your circle of friends. And it's like, Oh, I should ask that person to hang out. And then it's like, Oh, how am I going to ask them? Or what would it be the perfect? Ex- and will it be weird to invite him to join us when we go out? And that, that was something that was a big thing for me. Just, turning things over and thinking things through. And then of course it all blowing up in my face anyway, not, not to that epic degree. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness for that. So going back to the song, do you feel like we do as I now know that it's called, how do you feel the choice of that song enhances the scene or does it detract from the story? It's a good song selection because it's definitely not, the song was in service to the scene and not vice versa. And the 90s were pretty rife with scenes that almost felt like a music video where, and they, well, uh, one of the prototypes or one of the most referred to scenes of this is in the movie Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts is going through the, the high-end clothing stores, putting on all these different outfits while doing a little dance in front of the mirror while the song Pretty Woman plays. And that's whatever it was. But then there were so many other movies that followed up by just having the montages where they play the song. It feels like a song that they paid to have in the movie and them filming all these scenes while, the sound, while that song's blaring at you. And this was very different where... They're riding in the car, the song's playing, it's not overwhelming, it doesn't drown out the dialogue, and it, it actually took me a couple times to even know what the song was, because Frampton Comes Alive, the, the live album where the song came from, he had a lot of, you know, talking guitar solos that meandered a bit. It, it could have been Show Me The Way because that had a pretty long guitar solo. It, or it could have been something like a B, a, a lesser-known track from the same album. So it, it's it's an album that I fully believe, a song I fully believe they were listening to. And also, it's one situation where the fact that nothing's going on in the song, aside from the doodlies and all the soloing, worked with it, where you're not distracted by him singing or the lyrics or anything like that. It's just sort of going in and out of the background of the, the scene. So I, I think it's a really good, really good choice. You can go a different... They could have gone a different way with it. Uh, Thinking of Almost Famous, where the Elton John song played on the bus, and they all sort of get swept up into the song and are singing along to it, and it becomes a big group moment. But that's not what this is. The song isn't the important thing. It's just the background to hold up the scene of the dialogue they're having. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And it's interesting what you say about the Pretty Woman montage and, and how big of a trope that is. Because I've in my heart, I feel like 
hey, I love a montage. Who doesn't love a good montage? But it does make me realize how that does make for much more of a cotton candy experience where, hey, it's fun when you see it, but then it's forgettable. Whereas a scene like this has the texture that's closer to real life and it is much more evocative and just makes you think, hey, hey, that I remember a time that I was cruising around in my buddy and, and you know, we, we were listening to such and such on the radio and, 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 and it can kind of reflect something closer to reality and not just kind of ring the bells and scream like, this is a movie, like we're having fun in the movie. So yeah, it, that makes me appreciate the scene a, a lot more the way you say that. It, it could just be done really wrong. And is it's not about it being bad songs. It's just how do you, who picks it? The absolute worst. Even, uh, I remember, and I'll never, it, it's the only thing I remember about this movie. It was so bad. A movie where there was like a background song that was just so jarring, where they basically did the same thing but completely wrong. And it was a movie with Sally Field and Kiefer Sutherland, where Kiefer Sutherland was some career criminal who murdered Sally Field's daughter but got out on a technicality. And she's following him through the like the mean streets of whatever city they're in. And he's just a mean guy. He pours hot coffee in a dog to make the dog yelp. And it's like the toughest part of the city. And Sally Field has no biz- business being there. And the song playing in the background was the Macarena. Oh, God. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and I was like, what, 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 what the, what the hell? And it showed like that selection can be so jarring if it's done wrong. So if they would have played in. You know, even go to Frampton again. If they played the first part of Do You Feel Like We Do with the lyrics and with the actual structure of the song, or if they had played Baby, uh, um, Baby I Love Your Way, that wouldn't have worked. Like, there's so many, like, they actually picked the right part of the right song to make this scene sort of move forward where it gave the flavor uh, without being a distraction. But, you know, I, maybe I'm wrong, and I challenge your listeners to recut that scene with the Macarena playing in the background. <laughs> oh, what what have you done? All right. Well, we we've shown this scene some love, the scene overall and the choice of music. Was there a moment in this scene that spoke to you? Yeah, and it's right at the beginning where Pink is winding up and Mitch is so defeated and he's waiting to take that next whack from the board. And Pink just gives them the lightest of taps. And, you know, the, the seniors, they're having a good-natured laugh about it. And patting his shoulder and is like, ah, it's all right, buddy. And that scene has a little bit of an emotional kick because we, we've all had those down moments and we feel like the world's against us. And if you're real lucky somebody shows a bit of humanity. It can be really affirming when that happens. And Mitch is a likable kid, and you're rooting for him a lot. Uh, he's definitely the everyman of this. You know, he, He's definitely, and there's a lot of everyman in the story, but he's definitely the everyman, the one who you're sort of looking through his eyes. And it was good that they didn't spend the entire movie just breaking him down and beating him down for some, like, last minute, oh, things might be okay. 
No, he, he, this was a moment where it's like, okay, he's, he's going to be all right. Things aren't going to be bad. We're not led to believe that he's going to be like four years of misery in high school and constantly being antagonized and bullied every moment. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that you said that really resonated with me is just how important it is to show humanity when you see someone struggling like that. And this is where Pink really shines for me, that he's just really helping him out and he's he's showing him the way. It's, it's crazy, and this movie is a reminder, we thought the London brothers were going to be a thing. And... It just didn't turn out that way. They both sort of hit their limitations as actors. And then I know, what was it, Jeremy London, he had his addiction issues. And it was like, but just watching this is like, oh, good looking kids, uh, both of them, good looking guys, obviously. Uh, they're twins, so they're going to be equal attractiveness. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not bad actors, a little bit of charisma and screen presence, but just didn't quite take off the way they thought to. It's sort of one of those where made a couple of bad decisions career-wise. Jeremy London decided that Mallrats was going to be the Kevin Smith movie he was in. So, you know, yikes. We saw that together in theaters. Oh, yeah. We sure did. So it's always weird when you see these actors. And obviously he was, he, it was a nice featured role. He was the good guy. He was the likable guy. And Hollywood seemed to have their you know money set on him. And then looking at all the other people whose careers exceeded London's. And London's, hey, you know, he's definitely been in a lot more movies than I have. But, you know, you have Ben Affleck, Adam Goldberg, obviously Matthew McConaughey, who's had like four career revitalizations by now. Mila Jehovic's, even Joy Lauren Adams. Well, speaking of Mallrats, Parker Posey's. Of the people, it, they definitely seem to be presenting Jason London as this is the guy who could be the star of the future. And there were so many other people that had equal or in some cases really far exceeding his. I always find that interesting. Well, also tying into Mallrats, fun fact, during the filming of Dazed and Confused, Jason Lee was dating Marissa Rabisi. So he was like hanging out and on set and he actually has a line that they they had him record. He's off camera, but that's going to be, if you're not already familiar, that's a teaser for the future. Stay tuned for that, listeners, the mystery Jason Lee line. Uh, Rabisi was, um, she was married to Beck for a long time. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. All right, all right, all right. Well, we've mentioned the Cosmic Geppetto podcast a couple of times. You got to interview Matthew Sweet. You you gave a fresh-faced young would-be podcaster named Jarf his start. And I just wondered if you wanted to tell the listeners a little bit more about like what's the show about and if you have anything in particular that you wanted to highlight. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've been doing it for uh, five years plus. Jarf was the first guest on the show. He was also the first person I called when I decided I wanted to do it. What's crazy is when I started it, it was called Movies at Marvel because it was just going to be me and some friends talking about Marvel movies. And it was like three episodes in and we completely ditched that format. Basically, the concept is we are a positive geek culture podcast. We talk about things that we like and be it music, movies, comics, books, and we've had amazing guests, as mentioned several times, 90s pop rock 
singer-songwriter Matthew Sweet, who I'm a big fan of. He came on the show not that long ago. A wonderful sort of country rock duo, Jackson Sellers, who just put out a really cool album. And, and then we also talked with excellent comic creators. Got a chance to talk with Ron Friends, who drew Spider-Man. The first issue of Spider-Man I ever bought was drawn by Ron Friends, and I got a chance to have him on. Walt Simonson, who was the writer and artist for a lot of the issues of Mighty Thor that the Thor movies have been based on. He was on the show. And we've had best-selling authors and movie producers and TV actors. It's been a a really fun thing. It has launched uh, a couple of podcasts. We've had um, movie-by-minute shows, such as um, Minute of Darkness, where we talked about Army of Darkness. Mike Watson, who you personally scouted and you brought that talent in at a comp book convention he, he started his podcasting career based on how much fun he had on our show and uh it's been a pretty pretty great experience and uh recommend everyone check it out and uh you know you can always go back uh, jarf's been on it plenty of times it's been a little while since jarf's been on but we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll have to remedy that soon you've been doing such cool stuff like this and also the work that you do during your day job so i'm always appreciative of the time that you were able to get you nice i appreciate you saying that and the way that you describe it it's kind of like the cosmic geppetto podcast is pink and you're just taking these new would-be podcaster mitches just under your wing and getting them their start. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had such a great time. And, and it's sort of a sad thing where you aren't on the show as much as you were at the beginning of it. Because you have you started doing your own thing. But I always, and I don't know if you remember this, I was always encouraging you. And I always said, it's like, hey, if you want to do another show, let me know and we'll set you up. And we'll, you know, and you you, it, you really didn't need me for that. Like once you sort of got your feet under you and you're such a natural at it that you, you did, you know, your other, your Joe versus the Volcano show and this. And it's great, it, but it is sad because once upon a time it was just, really was just you and me. And it's so cool that it's grown and we got so many other great people on the show but it is but it is always fun when it's just you and me again like like today this is awesome yeah i couldn't agree more i i told nikki that you were my guest this week and she said ah the original duo so so here we are back again listeners you're, you're getting some some vintage jarf and otter content well do you want to let folks know where they can find you online, where they can find the show? Uh, best place I would say would be uh, go to Twitter at Cosmic G-Pod. The Cosmic Geppetto podcast can also be found on Cosmic Geppetto listeners page, which is facebook.com forward slash Cosmic Geppetto. That's G-E-P-P-E-T-T-O. And yeah, come and join the fun. The more the merrier. Wait, well, man, it's it's always fun talking with you, be it on a podcast or otherwise. Thank you so much for for bringing the the real deal Frampton content and sharing your stories. And I will talk to you soon. See you soon. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.